Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 38 Root Flush, Part 1 Aziraphale is home. A lot of it is a relief after six months of being away. These are his walls and his rooms, his things and his memories. This is his home. This is where he is safe. There's an overbearing sense of relief to look at the bookshelves and see only titles he's chosen. Books that are friends, well-known and infinitely comforting. Madame Tracy's eclectic shelves probably weren't entirely her doing, not with the number of people who normally went through a lovely rental home like that, and Aziraphale had certainly taken his time to read the most interesting-looking ones, but these texts are his. Everything in this flat has been marked with his fingerprints. He's embedded here. His footprints are familiar to the carpet, and his hands are recognized on faucets and doorknobs. This has been his home, and to someone like Aziraphale, a home is a centre. This is the source of all of his serenity, the light at the centre of his heart. His home knows him, and he knows it back. He leaves his suitcases in the entryway and moves into it, slowly, trying to let his mind process before he has to start thinking about anything else. Here is his sitting room, or living room, depending on which sounds better any given day. Only one wall here is lined with bookshelves and books. There's a comfortable couch and a love seat and two matched chairs, placed at the perfect angle to contribute to a group discussion. Aziraphale reaches out to touch the fabric on the back of one of them. He'd paid to design the chairs specifically, had chosen the fabric and the wood and the studs together, having selected the shape while visiting the store. He'd thought the masterpieces at the time a successful combination of aesthetic and physical comfort, a place he'd always want to sit. The fabric is soft and durable, and the pattern is timeless. Beyond this entry room is the hallway that splits his bedroom, study and office, and the kitchen and dining areas. It's almost unfamiliar after so many weeks adjusting to the larger space of the villa's first floor. The kitchen is nice, adequate for his cooking needs, and what passes as a dining room in this flat is an open area next to the kitchen where he can fit a slender table for four. There's no separate kitchen nook, no dining table for fourteen. It is, simultaneously, comforting and disconcerting. 
This is his space, the kitchen where he's tried and failed multiple times to make a decent curry, where he can boil an egg and make a cuppa and can usually make rice if the rice maker decides to cooperate. It's so much smaller than Madame Tracy's rental kitchen and so much more reasonable. No fancy pot-based coffee maker where Crowley can stumble and fumble until he breathes caffeine in and becomes a human being again. Aziraphale's study and professional office is technically his second bedroom, but no one like him is going to need a place for guests to stay in his own home, and he does need a place of his own to work on his articles and his blog. The study is lined with bookshelves. They're all mismatched, a collection of different woods and stains and designs that Aziraphale had picked up at a number of estate sales and small auctions in his time here. He likes that they technically all go with each other, but don't necessarily match. The different styles complement each other even in the limited space of his study. The only wall space allowed is the bit around the window, because Aziraphale's working desk sits there, with the light streaming in from behind him, over his shoulders. This is, admittedly, where most of his time had been spent before. It feels familiar in an odd way that settles inside Aziraphale. He'd felt so at home on this trip that it makes him breathe a strange little sigh to come back into this space. He works his way beyond the desk and sits in his chair, rests his hands on his keyboard. This, at least, feels familiar. All the post-it notes are still on the monitor of his desktop. Little reminders for his articles that make his heart sink as he reads them. Keep your sentences short. And no more than three semicolons per article. Right next to more exclamation points, old chap. All things Gabriel had said at some point Snippets of guidance from conversations and emails that Aziraphale had written up on these bright colours of paper and hung in his own face. And sitting here feels different now, because he recognises these for what they were, what they are, what they have been to him. He cringes a bit to look at them. Old habits die hard, but he finds that core inside of him, the thing he'd built up over the last six months, and breathes it out. There will be no more of that, Aziraphale thinks. He reaches out and tugs off the one that says, three compliments for every criticism, and looks down at it. Gabriel's rules. Sandalphon's suggestions. He's free now. 
And then he's tearing them all off in a frenzy, throwing them away from himself until they're crumpled and scattered over the floor of the study like little wrinkled flowers. He's breathing far too hard for a gesture so small. This transition will not be easy, Aziraphale realizes. He covers his face with his hands and tries not to sob. Warlock calls him three days later. Aziraphale spends those three days unpacking very slowly, because nearly every item of clothing he takes out of the case has memories of Crowley attached to it, and moving through those reminders makes it a slow process. The blue waistcoat he was wearing the day Crowley splashed gin on him, and he tucked it off, laughing. The plaid-collared shirt he'd worn the night they'd gone out for shrimp and he'd spilled the cocktail sauce down his front. The ridiculous jeans he'd worn out in the vineyard, well aware they were terribly unflattering, but not caring with Crowley's eyes on him over their row of grapes. He misses Crowley in ways he knew he would and in ways he was unprepared for. Occasionally, a memory will come back so intensely that Aziraphale comes back to himself shuddering in the middle of his bedroom, skin covered with goosebumps. When he pulls out the shirt he'd worn the night they first made love and remembers Crowley's deft fingers taking it off of him, Aziraphale has to sit down. Thinking about Crowley echoes oddly here, in this space that is so definitively his and yet not as definite anymore. There's a part of him that became Crowley's, or a part of Crowley that became his, or both, as Raphael isn't sure it matters, and that part is absent. Missing. Asleep in hibernation. Crowley had told him about the next steps, the way they'll let the leaves fall and fertilize the soil along each row of vines to make up for the nutrients they stole when harvesting all the grapes. Root flush, he calls it. The period in winter where the vines look like they're sleeping dead, but actually all of their growth happens underground, roots spreading like mad in the winter chill, so that they're ready to feed nutrients into the next bud burst. Aziraphale's aware that he's been thinking of them as a metaphor for some time. He does, in fact, read his own writing, but this also seems apt. It isn't exactly cold in Los Angeles, but that piece of him that's so intertwined with Crowley and his hectic life feels dormant. 
Aziraphale can only hope that they're both sending out roots, taking stock of what available earth they can find around them, anchoring themselves in place and, hopefully, to each other. Aziraphale's fears tend to croon to him sometimes, in the dark of night when he's curled up in his bed, his actual bed, and he's already tired and half asleep, and it's easier for him to imagine that Crowley, gorgeous, stunning, breathtakingly witty Crowley, will lose interest as he moves his winery into his all-important next phase. During the days when they talk and text, it seems clear that Crowley's still there, but the nights aren't easy. Then again, he's only been home for three bloody days. He could still be in culture shock, for heaven's sake. Anyway, Warlock calls him three days later. I've banged out most of it, Warlock says. And I think you're going to be pleased with where we've ended up. They're meeting in Warlock's office. Warlock has a lovely flat in a very different area of town than Aziraphale. It's trendy, modern in a way that still seems to announce Warlock has money, edgy but not rough. His office is a little corner off of his great room, where floor-to-ceiling windows bring in sunlight, bright and beautiful. Since Warlock's entire job is taking care of Aziraphale's business, the office is as familiar to Aziraphale as his own. He spent plenty of time here. Warlock is drinking coffee as if he's parched for it, and his hair's still wet, dampening the collar of his T-shirt. Aziraphale brought scones, and they're picking at them idly as Warlock gets all of the information pulled up. He has an impressive computer setup, Aziraphale thinks. Dual monitors, both touchscreens, and a keyboard that lights up in whatever color he likes best. There are a couple options, but I think this is the one you're going to like best. Warlock begins, turning one of the screens so that they can both see and grabbing his interesting-looking mouse. It appears to have at least six buttons on it that Aziraphale's doesn't, growing like warts, and it's also gleaming in a bright, clear blue to direct them. I think our best move is to position you as a contractor. Aziraphale hums and chews on a piece of his raspberry scone. And how does that differ? Right now, you're an employee, Warlock tells him. As an employee, you're contained entirely with an FTA. You have to follow their rules, meet their expectations, and since California is an at-will employment state, they can fire you at any time for any reason. He grins, a bit wickedly. Please note that they usually don't, because of lawyers and agents like me, 
who like to get in fights about unfair termination. But technically, those are the facts. Raphael takes another bite. There's no way he'll let FTA fire him. He'll quit before that happens. As a contractor, you're technically self-employed. You offer your services to FTA, but the contract's much more on your terms than theirs. You can control your own blog in your own space and will contract with FTA for certain projects in which you'll have a lot more say than you do now. Aziraphale glances up. Warlock is smiling at him, really smiling, and Aziraphale thinks, Warlock has grown as well. His own roots are flushing outward. It solves the problem of your blog. We threaten to take it back, and if they still want it on their website, we get to set new rules about it. The book then becomes a joint venture between us, as well as any additional books, travel options, or other projects. Aziraphale sips at his tea and thinks. His first take is that it's too good to be true, and there has to be a catch somewhere, because it's nearly everything he wants. Enough freedom to be himself, to have it be his words people are reading, but with enough of a connection with other media institutions that opportunities may present themselves. He isn't exactly ready to go back to writing a blog in his own little corner. He wants to keep the good parts of this business relationship to see where his talent can take him with some of FTA's support. He just wants those pieces of himself back first. When he looks up again, Warlock's grinning. You like it, he says. You really like it, I can tell. Aziraphale huffs. I've said nothing, dear boy, he says primly, and Warlock's grin grows. You do, Warlock tells him. And you're easier to read now that you don't feel like you have to hide every single thought behind that awful neutral face of yours. Excuse you, says Aziraphale, somewhat extravagantly offended. It was like you were drinking sour milk, but were too polite to tell anyone, Warlock informs him. All the time. Well, Aziraphale continues, as if he hadn't heard that. You are right, you ridiculous man. I do like it. Are you sure that it's a possibility? Warlock's grin goes crooked, and he says... Almost quietly, I wish I'd thought of it years ago as. Aziraphale smiles at that and reaches out to pat Warlock's hand. My dear boy, he says, I'd be nowhere without you. Don't blame yourself. I'm the one who was hiding. Warlock shrugs. You were good at it he says, frankly. 
I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what you actually want, because I thought I knew you well enough to assume that what you wanted wasn't to bow down to corporate standards. But it's hard to be sure when your boss is so... When your boss is lying to himself, Aziraphale says softly. And there, it's out between them. Aziraphale doesn't think they need any kind of apology, nor any kind of heart-to-heart. He and Warlock have always understood each other on some level. They wouldn't have been able to work together for so long otherwise. But Aziraphale has to say something. It has to be acknowledged between them in order for them to move on. So right, Warlock says, his shrug so casual it looks like a Crowley move. Got it now? Admit you like it and let's move on to details. I'm meeting with Gabriel tomorrow, Aziraphale tells Crowley. They call at random times, because Aziraphale's still trying to take care of all his business here, and Crowley's still tied up in dawn and dusk harvest, the rest of his days full of the testing and crushing and barreling of all of his wines, all of his vines. Today, Aziraphale's caught him around 4pm, a cheerful chat before Crowley heads out to gather and feed his crew and get them all focused in the right direction. He can hear Crowley snort over the phone. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be a good time. Honestly, Aziraphale says, I'm over most of the anger, I think. We should be able to have a clean, calm conversation without so much stress. And Warlock will be there. I'm not sure you should, Crowley says. Make Warlock put it in your contract that you have earned 15 minutes of screaming at Gabriel while he's gagged. Aziraphale giggles. <laughs> Warlock would fall for a punch in the face, I feel. Good, Crowley says, urgent. Save one for me, Angel. Crowley's voice over mobile is... strange. It has all of the notes in it that Aziraphale finds familiar, but they're muted through the electronics of it, a spectrum that he's used to, that he knows and wants, with the amplitude turned way down. It isn't as fully coloured as Aziraphale expects, and it throws him this filter of mobile distance between them. God, he misses Crowley. How's the harvest? Crowley's exhausted sigh is a faint noise through the phone. Aziraphale can remember it in full colour. He wants to reach out and touch it on Crowley's mouth. <sighs> Charts are done. 
Sarah's done. Almost done with the zins now. Really, only a bit to go. It's all mostly pressed and in the tanks. Mostly. The poor dear, he sounds like he hasn't slept in days. Aziraphale remembers the first few days of harvest. Remembers taking a hazy, blurry Crowley to bed, tucking himself around his exhausted limbs. Make sure you're taking care of yourself, he tells Crowley, and is rewarded with a lively snort. <laughs> Rather you were taking care of me, Crowley says, and then... Shit, I'm sorry. A wave of melancholy hits Aziraphale, his chest clenching like his heart's in a vice. No, don't be, he says rather shakily. I'd, I'd be there if I, if it's... He trails off, feeling the sting of tears in his eyes. This is ridiculous. They both know this is necessary. But necessary doesn't mean he has to like it. I know, Crowley says, sounding oddly stiff, as if he's trying not to let anything out in his voice. I'd tuck you right into bed if I could, Aziraphale says. His voice is slightly more stable this time, although he's trying for encouraging. I'm sure Anathema can take care of it for a night. Ha, says Crowley. Anathema's off for the night after staying awake for 37 hours, getting the crew lined up on the Pinots. She was speaking in tongues, Angel. Just... Aziraphale starts, a bit self-conscious. Pretend I'm there, darling. Get some sleep. Crowley makes one of his stunned noises for a while and then says, finally, I always pretend you're here, Angel. Good night. Aziraphale, stunned by this vulnerable admission, takes a good long moment to end the call. Aziraphale's heart beats a little crooked as he sees Gabriel and Michael sitting at the far side of the table and he pauses just a moment too long before fully entering the room and taking his seat. He shouldn't feel this nervous anymore. He doesn't have to conform to their expectations anymore. He thinks of Crowley's insistence that Gabriel get punched. He's been texting variations on the theme all day and straightens his shoulders a bit. Warlock sits down beside him and nods hello at both of them. This is it. We've read your proposal, Michael starts. She sounds friendly for once, 
and she catches Aziraphale's eye and gives him the barest hint of a smile. It helps. We have a couple amendments we'd like to make, but overall we're happy to take these terms. And there it is. Aziraphale's going to get what he wants. It doesn't sink in. It's just words, in his ears, sound waves that don't mean anything. He's prepared to have them taken away, taken back. Some part of him expects Gabriel to swallow them whole. Excellent, says Warlock, and he's grinning. Let's see those modifications, then. Gabriel slides a folder across the table. He hasn't met Aziraphale's eyes yet, and he looks strangely subdued. Aziraphale almost feels sorry for him. There's something about a silent Gabriel that's not right. Then again, Aziraphale thinks, I've certainly been silent for too long. Maybe it's his turn. Warlock pages through the folder, humming under his breath, tapping at the bits marked in red as he thinks. Michael clears her throat, and Aziraphale looks up, a bit startled. Ahem, <clears throat> you look well, she says. It's very strange to be sitting here across from his two... bosses? Ex-bosses? Without feeling like he's a child called before the principal to handle some uncomfortable issue. Thank you, he says, surprised. Is there, Michael says very delicately, anything you'd like to say? Oh. Aziraphale's eyes flick over to Gabriel, who's sitting somewhat awkwardly with his hands in his lap, eyes down. He looks back at Michael, who calmly opens her hand in Aziraphale's direction, offering him the floor. Does he have anything to say? Good Lord! The years build up in his throat, choking him. The emails, the edits, the ways he's let himself be silenced and diminished... Does he have anything to say? The Crowley that lives in his head is shrieking. Aziraphale closes his eyes for a second to silence everything. He has so many things to say he could fill a book with them. He has, nearly, the echoes of all of it colouring between every line of his story. And yet, the part of him that's entwined with Crowley, the bit that's sleeping, the bit that sings in Aziraphale's soul with the richness of his infandal and the tartness of a soft blanc, the part of him that looked into the vineyards and thought, we are home, is unfurling slowly. It's his future, the future he hopes for, and there's a peace there, a center that's something stable and precious, and suddenly 
Aziraphale doesn't want to taint it with anything. But he does have to say something. There's a closure hovering here on tentative wings, and Aziraphale does want to gently shut that door. Gabriel, he says, his voice surprisingly calm. Gabriel looks up at him. His eyes are dull, his face resigned. I think this has been a learning experience for all of us, Aziraphale says gently. Gabriel blinks, obviously not expecting this. You were very bad for me, Aziraphale tells him, because it needs to be said. But it doesn't need to be said in cruelty. We don't work together well, and I lost a part of myself trying to be what you and this company wanted me to be. This, this feels good. Like finally taking one's shoes off at the end of the day. Like the first sip of a decadent Cabernet Sauvignon in the evening. But I also allowed a lot of it to happen, he continues, and catches the way Gabriel winces. So I bear some of the responsibility as well. It took a while for me to realize how far down I'd pushed myself. He breathes in, breathes out the toxic relationship, the way he'd stuffed himself into such a tiny hole. You also weren't very nice to me, he adds, a bit of censure in his voice. Although I think you thought you were. Certainly not everyone approaches life the way you do, Gabriel. Aziraphale glances to the side. Warlock's head is still down, poring over the papers, but his mouth has twitched up into a smile. Maybe, Aziraphale continues, maybe we'll both go forward having learned something about ourselves. I don't think we'll work together again, but I don't wish you ill, Gabriel. Another breath, this one almost ragged. I forgive you. And isn't that it? He could yell, he could scream, he could cry, but what would it do? He'd rather say his piece and then quietly close the door on this entire thing. He can tell by the mood in the room that Gabriel's being held responsible for losing Aziraphale as an employee. That should be punishment enough. It'll hit Gabriel's ego in ways Aziraphale would never be able to reach. The room is quiet, and Aziraphale glances up at Michael again. Her face is a mask, but her eyes seem to be looking at him in a new light. Gabriel's looking down at his hands again. This looks good, Warlock says, breaking the silence with confidence.
We accept. And that was that, Aziraphale says, reaching for his wine glass. He's opened an ecstasy's pinot, Lydia, to celebrate the end of his old life and the beginning of whatever new path his career's gonna take. Still think you should have punched him, Angel. Crowley has promised that he's in bed and is going to sleep all afternoon once they're off the phone. How does it feel? It feels... Aziraphale starts and then pauses. I mean, it still hasn't really sunk in yet, to be honest. But coming out of the meeting felt like... How can he put it into words like this? His fingers itch for his keyboard. It felt like when I walked into ecstasies, he says finally. Like something inside of me that had been asleep or missing was suddenly there. As the silence grows, Aziraphale realizes that this was maybe not the right thing to say at the moment. I mean, he stammers hastily, well, you know how I felt about the wine country. Angel, Crowley murmurs, and there are entire tones in it that fall through the speaker half-realized. Well... Aziraphale murmurs back after another moment. It's true, Crowley. A sleepy sputter comes across the phone, and then Crowley says, I'm Too tired to deal with you right now, Angel. Go to sleep, Aziraphale tells him through a silly, besotted smile. I miss you, darling. Miss you, Crowley mumbles, and Aziraphale can hear him rolling over in the sheets. Love you, night. For the second time this week, Aziraphale's left staring at his mobile as Crowley hangs up, ostensibly to sleep. They've never said it. Through all of the upheaval and the tears and the way it feels when he's holding Crowley, and he's never said it. It isn't like he doesn't know. It isn't like he hadn't realized he had fallen in love with Crowley months ago. This is not a secret Aziraphale has tried to hide from himself. He's well aware of it. He feels like he's been saving it, like a gem in his pocket, waiting for the proper moment to reveal it, like a surprise. And here's Crowley mumbling out truths in exhaustion. Aziraphale closes his eyes and lets himself feel it. Crowley loves him. And yes, he's known this for months as well, but it's different hearing the words. 
soft, sleepy tone, gentle exhalation. No gesture Aziraphale can make will ever be as precious and poignant as that. But he can make a gesture, at least. Something for Crowley to wake up to. And I love you. Desperately. So much that the words barely have meaning, my dear. Have a good evening. I wish you luck with harvesting. Aziraphale presses send. Crowley calls him at 2 a.m. when he sees the message, sputters incoherently over the line for about 30 seconds, and then hangs up. Aziraphale smiles to himself, sleepy and smug, and rolls over. His life proceeds. Aziraphale continues to type up his notes from the trip, posting daily on his blog. He's careful to not immediately stray too far from the established style. It isn't worth alienating FTA any more than he already has, and the announcement hasn't been made yet. He's leaving all of that in Warlock's very capable hands. Plus, it's satisfying to have the entries all the same, pieces and parts of this whole that has changed him so much. His book is filling nicely. He has passed the outline for the other book off to FTA. They're allowing the company to use his name on it, and they've got a ghostwriter who should be able to finish it up into a nice coffee table book. His, though, Aziraphale's book is a memoir. It's intimate. His story is a novel. He and Warlock have been talking about how to approach the real book. Aziraphale doesn't really want to have this book touch FTA at all. So Warlock's been looking for other options, trying to find a publishing agent who'd be interested in getting AZ Fell's novel on the map without insulting FTA or encroaching on their agreement. Aziraphale's already given him one raise. Warlock had looked at the numbers, unusually speechless, but he's really going to have to give the boy another. His income from FTA has been cut back, but they both expected that. The cost of his freedom is, of course, compensation. He'll be fine for now, and he still has a basic check coming in for the blog. Warlock's looking into that, too, trying to find the kind of ads Aziraphale wouldn't mind having on the site. Warlock's doing a lot right now, but he's told Aziraphale again and again that his job is to continue producing content. The more he puts out right now, the more Warlock can shop him around. Plus, Aziraphale thinks Warlock's missing his friends 
and that lovely Adam boy more than he's admitting. It wouldn't be the first time Warlock's thrown himself into work to counter heartache. Either way, Aziraphale just continues. He puts out his blog posts, using the last of the photos he and Warlock had strategically taken their last few weeks there. He starts, tentatively, posting some of the kinds of things he used to post. Recipes to pair with wines, ways to host a wine and cheese party, why you don't have to have a white with fish. The reception is good. At this point, Aziraphale's had Warlock teach him how to look at the basic statistics. And so he continues to post, once a day, whatever's on his mind at the moment. With every word he writes about wine country, the feeling of nostalgia? He isn't really sure what the feeling is, not yet. He misses it, and he misses Crowley, and it all seeps into his writing. A kind of wistful remembrance, something yearning and almost sad. After what must be two dozen comments over the last few days asking whether he's all right, Aziraphale stops typing, staring down at his hands. Is there a reason not to? Everything has changed so much. I've changed. Once I was a shape that fit here. These chairs conforming to me, this library exactly my size. I fit behind this desk, letting the sun fall on me as I typed, bound by the many colourful reminders of rules I'd let others set for me. It isn't that I don't fit. I have not stopped fitting here. It's that I feel like I've found a place I fit better. It's an old coat I can still slip into, but I've found a new one that might suit me more. Is it worth the cost? Pulling up roots, moving ground. This I've done before. Jolly old England and all. Moves don't bother me. I love this world, love seeing more of it. That isn't the fear. Maybe there isn't a fear, and that's what I'm afraid of. I'm here still because I expected to be here. I expected this to be my next step. Some time in limbo, trying to work things out. But is there a reason to be here? If everything else in my life is changing, if my work and my employment and my status are all evolving, shouldn't I? Maybe now is the time. Make the change I want and make the other pieces fit to me for once. I could. I think about it every day. Count the reasons that I stay, weigh the pieces I am missing, and realize the math 
always points in the same direction. There is a place where I can be. A place where I discovered myself, discovered something hidden inside me that grew into a yield I never would have expected. Is there a reason I'm not there? <laughs>